We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, uh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors at Banquet Beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. Coming to you live from the Southtowns in Buffalo, New York. It's the Rockpile Report. Drew's voice is shot. I'm Chris Kruger, the producer. Drew, the host. And might I get it out of the way? Your engaged producer. So, guys, I had a whole intro set up for this show. So we've been doing this podcast a long time, and it started when his last marriage ended. Uh, Chris. I was already married. Chris has been married once before. Obviously, you know, as I've joked about openly on the podcast, ended in disaster. Um, Chris, on the scale of one to ten, as far as marriages can end in disaster, would you say yours was probably an 11, like Spinal Tap? I mean... Yeah, it was probably it was pretty bad. I mean, Jessica and I had the same type of uh, same level of ending. So, so here's the thing: when I when Chris and I started this podcast, he was freshly divorced. No, still married. Well, still married when we started, but very quickly divorced. No, we were still living. Started recording. We were still. I was still married. Happily, yes, kind of, kind and, of, and then halfway through our first season recording yes. the podcast, shit started to go sideways. Started, <laughs> started to go sideways. I, I love you. So then we are now like now the recording is taking place in a kitchen in South Buffalo, Chris's bachelor pad apartment. A lot of good years there. And then 
like what started is like a see, uh, like a shitty Seagram's bet that he kind of rooked me, but I let him get it because I was just happy for him. Like, he, yeah, you had no idea. He goes, oh, man. He goes, if I, I was like, no woman will ever date you with this stupid mohawk. And he goes, oh, yeah, knowing full well he's already dating a girl. He goes, oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll get you to agree to it. And then I'll set the whole thing up and just. But I, I let that go because I love you. And I was just happy you're happy. And now here we are. What is this, Chris? Seven years later? Something like that. That was This is a guy who has January said repeatedly to me that he will never get married again. And while we laugh about how we're dead inside, there's a part of me knowing how happy I am and knowing what getting married to the woman I did did for me personally and how it changed my life. I felt bad that Chris had just like walled that off for himself. I'm just like, nope. I'll never do it again. Don't give a shit. Don't care about what the consequences of that are. So when I saw him move in here to this, to all of this, <laughs> I was I was hopeful that Chris had found something, something that was worth giving up his own private space for, something that was worth comprom- learning how to compromise with other human beings for. And now I get to sit here today. And congratulate Chris Krueger on being successfully engaged. You, I thank you for giving it another try. I think you deserve it for yourself, brother. Yeah, a lot of uh, conversations about that with her, and we made it work and had a hell of a plan. Worked to perfection. She had no idea it was it was happening, and. Uh, Totally caught her off surprise, so I'm very happy how everything turned out. So, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm, so I got you a little something to... Is that Heaven's Door? It is. <laughs> That's Heaven's Door Rye. I want you to, uh, why don't you come over here and take, take a little bit of that? And don't, and don't worry, Chris, I didn't pay retail for that. <laughs> Yeah, you just took it off your own bar. <laughs> no, 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 no. I walked around Colonial for about a half hour going, I don't want him to think I care too much. Did you buy Old Tub? Yes, I did buy myself for a bottle 14, of Old Tub. <laughs> I love that you know that. I came home, my wife goes, you went there to get a gift for your friend, and then you bought something for yourself. You do know that that's tacky, right? It's like, honey... What, that what, is not tacky at all. What part I, of me? Because well, yeah, I'm I do, all class over here. I do that all the time. Why don't you give that a whack? Ooh, like I'd, that sound. Yeah, it uh, smells smells lovely. Uh, I got to drink it right out of the bottle because I do have a Glen Karen here of <laughs> uh, that Reverend bourbon that Jake got me there from the go. home opener. So this is, uh, I don't even know what kind of oak barrels these are. V-O-S-G-E-S. Never heard of it. It's got some rye spice to it. Mm-hmm. I can get behind that. It'll probably be good in a, uh, what did I make for the game? Oh, Black Manhattan. Black Manhattan? That would work with a Black Manhattan. Buddy, I'm just incredibly happy for you. Yeah. Like, I know you're stoic, so you don't care about any of this. 
but well, I'm... I mean, no one knew. Like, no. People... Well, this is the best part <laughs> that so, I did it on a month. So you, first of all, you do it on a fucking Monday, guys. This is this is the, the insanity of Chris Krueger. He he proposes to his now fiance on a on a Monday night when he has to leave and go to work. So he he arranges this elaborate. Hey, it's a cold October night. Let's go to the pier. Well, <laughs> we she had probably to, thought you were trying to kill her. No, because that's where we did our first date, second date, because we met during COVID. So you uh, you couldn't go anywhere. Look at you being fucking sentimental. And then that, oh, I love it. That was also the place where. I love yous were exchanged. Wow. All and. Right. All right. And not for nothing, fuck her work because she had to work last night late until like 830. So you were like, I have one, one crack at this. It was supposed to be yesterday, but we had to do it Monday. Yesterday. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you couldn't have said, hey, Drew, let's move the podcast so I can propose to my fiance. Obviously, somebody doesn't know how days of the week work. <laughs> so the day that comes after Monday is Tuesday, where she has to work late yeah. and was the original plan. But because she had to work late, we had to do Monday because Tuesday was three years to the day of I love you's. Look at so. you and you say you're dead inside. You liar. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love what a sap you are. You're the best. So that's how it had to be done. And Me- meanwhile, I gave her. She gets it. Well, I gave her. Her uh, her mom and stepdad came with her son Benton and uh, hid, and then uh, Benny ran up on the hill with the ring and gave it to me and uh, got on got on the knee and said, "Let's do this." <laughs> Now here's my favorite part of this whole uh, this whole thing. So y- y- my wife gets a text from yours, well, your future wife, and she immediately starts to freak out like a teenage girl who just found out that NSYNC is coming to town. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! She's like squealing like someone stepping on a hamster in my living room, and I'm just like nonplussed. Other than I picked up my phone and I sent text to Chris. I just said, "Well done." Well done with an emoji because I know he hates those. So she's now like, as she's freaking out, as she's talking to Jess, she calls, they have a big conversation. Larissa's crying. She's all emotional. And then she looks at me. She's like, why didn't you tell me? And I go, what makes you think I knew about this? And she goes, well, what? Chris just didn't say anything to you. I go, no, of course he didn't say anything to me because that's not a thing we would talk about. She goes, I can't believe you wouldn't talk about I No, she hates it when I do that because she goes, when you make that voice for women, it makes them sound dumb. That's not my intent. She but just it has is a funny. High, she, it is funny, <laughs> and she has a higher register of voice than me. She was like, I don't understand how you two can spend that much time together and not talk about something like this. Chris, you didn't tell your parents. <laughs> no, my the only people that knew were Jessica's mom, stepdad, her dad, and stepmom, and then Benny found out a couple hours before. But no, I didn't. Why would I tell you? Yeah. Why? why like, oh, hey, I'm gonna propose to Jessica. 
and then I could just see you inside going, I'm going to have to come back here and get that ring because I'm Puerto Rican and we're good at stealing and I need money. The, uh, Listen, we make real money now. We don't have to. But the I think the best, I mean, I text a couple people. I text my cousin Kevin, who I'm close with, and I, I'm pretty sure I probably sent him the same picture that Larissa got. Larissa got. Just the Jess, hand with the ring? Just uh, Jessica's hand with the ring. And I sent that at 1019 last night. And then 10 minutes later, my cousin texts me, since when did you start painting your nails? <laughs> and then I said, I paint my nails on Monday because I identify as a woman on Mondays. Hey, listen, <laughs> this day and age, you can do whatever you want. It yes. is 2023. Now, rest of the week, I identify as a man. Hee-haw are my pronouns. With that stupid hair. Yeah. Fucking, that's the worst part. That hair, I I bet you every gender that exists could agree that that hair needs to be shaved right off the top of your fucking head. No. With that in mind, guys, we are all very, very happy for Chris Krueger. I'm just, I'm, it's, I never thought you'd get here, buddy. I didn't. I was worried. I was like, I don't want Chris to spend, like, I was happy when you two moved in together, because I was like, I don't want my friend to spend his life by himself. And I don't have to park on the street in this shitty neighborhood. <laughs> well, that's also... to do the podcast. Hey, listen, there's a lot of perks for me. There's a lot of perks for me in this deal, so don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a selfish bastard. I understand that there's a lot that goes well for me in this deal. Uh, one of them is that, like, now I can actually have your wife talk to my wife, whereas before that lady was stoned retarded most of the time. Mm -hmm. Nope. People are going to get mad at me because I use the R word. Sorry. There are people who she, she was basically put herself into a like an induced coma most of the time when she wasn't tending to animals at the vet clinic. God, I still wish I could have served her your divorce papers. That would have been legit. I'm just so happy for you that you you and Cop and a Half. Now it's a package deal forever. Yeah. I love it. I love it. We're actually gonna start a mini series about you two and all your adventures. <laughs> guys, I'm guys can join me in a round of applause for Christopher A. Kruger taking the plunge for a second time. I love you, brother. I'm happy I'm happy for you. I'm also happy for the Buffalo Bills who managed to not completely fuck this thing. Like, uh, do you know who Brian Six is? No idea. Comedian out of Philly, Ryan Shaner. No idea. They, they have a is. podcast that I like called "You Fucked It." The Bu the Buffalo Bills narrowly avoided being one of the topics of, on that show this week with their fourteen to nine victory over the Giants. Here's your stats of the game. All right, you have Tyrod Taylor, twenty four thirty six for two hundred yards, no touchdowns, no picks, three sacks. An 80.8 .8 QBR. And an audible to a run play with no time left. <laughs> or no timeouts left, rather. Josh Allen, 19-30, 169 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. No rushing to speak of. <laughs> like, two attempts for 11 yards. Uh, the Bills' red, well, red zone offense. New York Giants 0 for 2. Buffalo, two for two. They are now second in the NFL in red zone scoring. Saquon Barkley, 97 all-purpose yards, no touchdowns, 
only faced heavy boxes with eight or more defenders on 8.3% of his snaps, which is 11th fewest of the entire week out of every running back in the NFL. And he needed 27 total touches to get to those 97 yards. Terrell Bernard and Teron Johnson, 22 tackles, 14 run stops, three tackles for loss, two, two missed tackles, 10 targets, 41 yards allowed combined. AJ Epinesa, four pressures, three quarterback hurries, one sack, one solo run stop, a tackle for loss, all of it on 21 snaps. <laughs> the Bills now lead the NFL in sacks. And for the Bills offense, Diggs, 16 targets. The rest of the roster had 13. No individual player had more than six. Now, the day itself was phenomenal. First primetime game tailgate in the dock slot. I think it went better than expected, wouldn't you? Yeah, it was <laughs> you, great. You would agree with me? I do, I do like that uh, Doug, you know, the, for, the, for those that listen, Crypt Keeper, your secrets. He told me that he was uh, like talking to his wife and they were discussing about the time that you were going to tell Doug to come over for the game. And Doug was like, oh, probably like 11. And then uh, Emma was like, you're out of your mind. Why would you go to Drew's at 11 to go to a football game? And then when you told him, be in my house at like 1130, like Emma lost her shit. Like, why would you go to a game that early? Fucking tailgate. Emma, you got things to do. You have no idea what an epic tailgate looks like. And Chris, this might have been one of her like the the first two tailgates of the season have been great here. This one was different, but just as good. Like, first of all, our weather preparedness, like, we have the setup. That little TV for only being 24 inches, how many people were huddled around that thing all day long? Oh, I was, because I picked the Browns to win outright. Oh, the balls to make that pick. Guys, we got treated. Remember the games? You you said it. You were like, oh, well, all we're going to get is 49ers, Browns, and Jets, Eagles, uh, those were two of the best games of the day. Yeah. <laughs> we had wild games, and we had wild game. Like, Scott showed up from Nebraska with venison jerky for both of us, which I, I don't know what it is about his jerky. I already ate my two bags. I'm sure you did. Bag. I watched you pigging out. I saw you. You can't help yourself when it comes to that jerky, can you? No, I ate all. <laughs> I ate a lot of it last or Monday night at work, and then... The rest of it last night at work. I tried to, like, I forced myself to ration it because I'm like, this has to last me because it's so venison jerky. I, I was I was actually telling Bob Everly at the tailgate. I, I didn't know he was there. D- of course you didn't because you don't know people. I knew that, like, I B- Doug and I used to have friends who hunted religiously and they would they were our source of venison products. Well, then they got kids and got bigger jobs, and now they don't hunt the way they used to because they're old and it's cold in the morning. And and so I don't get venison anymore. So when Scott shows up with his venison jerky, it just sets me off. But I'm like, don't do it. I'm like that guy who's like, <laughs> like, hey, I can I can do the thing, Chris. I'm on the wagon, but I can have a couple beers, right? But I'll be like you if I eat more than two over the course of a single day, 
If I eat more pieces, if I eat two or more pieces of venison jerky, that's it. I'll eat the whole bag. Full blown attic. Yeah, gone. Meanwhile, Bob shows up with like it's basically sausage. It's a mix of bologna and game. So he shows up with this awesome little tray with little placards, like stuff written on. Like he wrote out what each thing was: the sharp New York sharp cheddar, the venison mixed with uh, crow and bologna, and bear meat. Bear meat sausage. And here's the best part. I bring, you know, there's leftover bear meat sausage, so we get home and I put it on the counter and my wife starts digging in. <laughs> and me being beers deep, <laughs> just beers deep. I bring it up to her that, oh yeah, I was talking to him and he said bear is probably like in terms of like the animal. Just its composition, the texture of the flesh, like the taste. It's probably the closest thing you'll get to human, according to Bob. She had a mouthful of it, and she immediately just spit it out into her hand and was like, asshole, you couldn't let me just swallow? You couldn't let me just enjoy this? It's ruined. I can't eat this now. Chris, you wouldn't mind eating human meat, right? If you handed me a piece of jerky and said, hey, one of these is venison, one of these is bear, and one of them is human. I'm eating all three. Yeah. Like, if you were like, oh, somewhere in there, ooh, I'm going to eat all three. I'm not scared. And it was delicious. We ran out of food. Cam showed up with a second bar, and somehow we drank him out of booze, too. Yeah. I ran out of three bottles of, uh, two bottles of bourbon, old a bottle of Old Tub, and a bottle of Three Cord, and then... I got a bottle of Knob Creek rye, and we made black Manhattan cinnamon maple old fashions. I was surprised that I ran out of booze. Um, yeah, like that's that's a first for us. You know what that means, though? We just have to work harder. All right. Well, remind me for next week to go get more old tub. More old tub. Because the old tub, I'm telling you, that's got to be the official drink of the Rock Pile tailgate. That old tub is drinkable. I know, because I just bought myself a bottle <laughs> when I was there getting you that. Uh, if we're Guys, the tailgate was awesome. We had a great turnout. Scott's kids had a good time, which I was a fan of. Everybody ate. Everybody partied. The weather wasn't perfect, but we made the best of it, and we had a great turnout. Then the game started. <laughs> Let's just talk about the game. First of all, Chris, the officiating in the NFL gets worse and worse by the week, at least as far as I wonder if other fans have the same experience that we're having. Like, like, I think as human beings, we're inclined to believe that the bad things are only happening to us. Like, right? Like, oh, why is this happening to me? Is it possible that officials everywhere are dog shit? Yes. Early in the game, am I crazy or am I not? One of those, okay, maybe you can call incidental contact a deep pass that could have been, and the guys got their feet tangled and they fell. That one long pass heading towards our end zone, that guy definitely tripped our receiver. Yeah. And there was no call. And yet people are talking about the penalty at the end of the game more than all the bullshit that preceded it. That blows my mind. These guys have proven to you that they're bad all night. You just don't like that finally they were bad in a moment that decided the game. What, did you think they weren't? I'm just happy it went our way. 
And then when people go, oh, well, officiating. Chris, did you see that thing on SI.com? No. I don't read Sports Illustrated. Okay, but it was all over Twitter because people people really did not like it. The NFL Officiating Command Center, a picture of it got circulated on social media in the wake of the Bills game. Chris, it makes our podcast studio look like mission control down in Houston. Imagine a bunch of shitty, like, high school desks with a bunch of, like, guys in ill-fitting polos. Some of them wearing khakis, some of them wearing jeans. It looks like a shitty collection agency. And then at one corner of the room, there is what looks like it you'd see being in, like, the corner booth at a Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> it's like, hey, there's a bunch of TVs over here. And that's how you're making the most pivotal decisions that take place in the NFL? That's where this is coming from. You guys. A multi-billion dollar league, and you can't afford better than that. And so I saw that, and I immediately said, oh, well, if those guys can't afford nights or clothes, then I guess, like, I guess this all makes sense now. This all of this terrible officiating makes a lot of sense. If this is all like this is the Batcave for all of you referee dorks, and now you're out here just fucking up my life, <laughs> Chris. It's embarrassing. You guys need to go to Twitter and check out all of the pictures. Just like do a search for NFL officiating. Just just do the search. It'll be some of the first tweets that come up. It's hysterical. Either way, that final call, Chris, we're sitting in my basement watching it. Now, we'll get to why we left in a second, but we're sitting in my basement watching that final play. Did you believe that it was a penalty? No, because neither was those holding or DPI calls that should have gone to the Giants in the first half. Yeah. So it evens out. It evens out. Guess what, guys? They balanced things. Sorry that it came back and hurt you on the last play, which was untimed. Now, were you? How nervous were you in that moment? I was not mer- nervous because I think I believe because we were watching on. You have Fubo yeah. TV. Yep. So it's it's the streaming service. So it's. Well, at least probably downstairs in the un- basement. I have a new antenna upstairs now. Yeah, so we're about a mi- probably a minute behind actual game. So I think Doug had had it on his phone, and I could just tell by his body language. Body language. He looked because, at me and winked because I, know I was how like, to, "Oh, I know how God. to read people." I looked at Doug, <laughs> and I didn't have to say anything. I could see on his face that we were fine, and what I was about to watch was going to be. A nice non-call. <laughs> it was it was amazing. I love the fact that it ended that way. I do. Because fuck you guys. The NFL officials screwed us for the vast majority of the beginning of the game. I will not apologize for that. I will not apologize for it. Sorry, Giants fans, that it came back to bite you in the ass later when you needed it. Sorry. Guess what? Oh, And then the people saying, oh, well, they were scared to throw back-to-back flags. I don't give a shit. Guess what? That's a them problem, not a me problem. Teron John, Darren Waller is 6'6", 245. I'm sorry if 5'11", Teron Johnson stopped you from getting the football. 
Mind you, while you were grabbing his face mask. Never mind that. You know, let's not talk about that. Instead, let's point it and go, look at this. He's grabbing him. He's half his size. Chris, that's like if you that's like you and Dikembe Mutombo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you tried to stop Mutombo from getting a rebound, that's the equivalent of what we're talking about here. And yet, Teron Johnson, because he's a real athlete, pulled it off. I will not apologize for this. I will shamelessly drink a beer. And in fact, I want to spotlight him as part of, like, if we're recapping the game and something I saw and something I loved about this, the nickel defense was amazing. And I didn't expect that because when the Bills lost Matt Milano, we all said the same thing. You can't just replace a guy like that. You don't just go out and find another all-pro weak side linebacker who can play from depth and then come downhill and pick the right rush lane every time. Who can time interceptions and bait quarterbacks into poor throws. You don't replace that guy. You just have to find a guy who's competent and hope that you can make up in the aggregate. That's it. That's all you can do. We just knew that the games that were going to come weren't going to be the same, and yet they were going to get played. They were going to get played. You can't cancel them because you lost Trey White and because you lost Matt Milano. In this game, our nickel defense played a significant portion of the game. I mean, Bernard and Teron both took up over 95% of the snaps. They played some outstanding football. You know, the stats at the top of the show... One of the questions that was asked was whether or not Bernard would turn into just another guy once he lost Matt Milano. Was there any part of you, Chris, that questioned Bernard's ability to continue proving he belongs in the NFL, considering how last year went for him as a rookie? Yeah, I just need to see I need to see consistency out of him. Like that's great, you can do it for a game. Let's do it over a whole season. It's the same concept <clears throat> I had with Isaiah McKenzie. Let's see it. Oh, yeah, it's cool. You blew apart a couple of bullshit Patriot cornerbacks. Cool. Do it over the whole season. Bernard, cool. You've done it a couple games. Continue to do it for the rest of the season. He made some great plays. So uh, it was crazy. And one of the things when I watched the both of them and you go back and rewatch the game, it's ridiculous how much Teron Johnson means to this defense. Teron Johnson taking on and shedding blocks from the offensive line to force three and four yard carries is fucking wild. He's 5'11", going up against offensive linemen and winning. Now, I don't know if that's because he's just short enough that he can get under their leverage. I don't know what it is. But he does a great job of getting into blocks by the offensive line and then shedding that block and getting into the lane to disrupt a play. You look at what Bernard was doing. It was a lot of the same. A small linebacker. Pro, everyone in the draft said he was a prototype weak side off-ball linebacker. He's coming downhill as a middle linebacker and taking on blockers. Making the right run fit calls. He's instinctive. The two of them were all over the place. The tackle for losses. The solo stops. That was incredibly impressive on their own. The coverage was also really solid from both of them. I mean, they combined for just three first downs allowed in coverage. Do you know how hard that is when you're a small player? 
The longest completions they gave up individually were eight and six yards. That's fucking crazy. Now, I know the Giants aren't a powerhouse, but those are elite statistics in a game like this. And obviously, Teron Johnson's coverage of Darren Waller on that final play. Like, that's the thing that put this thing in the garage. I just like the fact that Teron Johnson, for most of the night, held Darren Waller in check whenever he was in coverage on him. And the other elite talent on the field for New Jersey, their $10 million running back, he wasn't allowed to take the game over. I mean, he had a few big runs. For that money and all his talent, I'd be shocked if he didn't. At the same time, him and the Giants desperately needed those plays because the gross majority of what he did over the night was not good. Five runs for five or more yards, right? He had one big one that kind of went, kind of weaved through the defense and got to the sideline. He had, you know, a couple that went up the middle of the defense for 10, 15 yards. Five runs, though. Also, five tackles for loss and 13 runs of less than five yards, whether it was off tackle, whether it was up the middle, Our defensive line didn't let their blockers get to the second level, and the result was that our linebackers and cornerbacks just swept everything up. Chris, that's that's this defense in a nutshell now, isn't it? I believe so. Defensive line powering the second level. Second level powering the back end. That's how this thing is going to work. It used to be driven by the linebackers. Remember when we didn't have a star D end? Now no. we've got guys like A.J. Epinesa, who are your third-string rotational D-end, who are just showing out. You have D-tackles who, with the loss of Daquan Jones, like, you still have effective defensive tackle play. And the result is you're holding some of the most talented players, like... And I think the thing, like, you're holding them in check. And the thing that really wrapped this nickel thing up for me was Dorian Williams. Dorian Williams gets his first start of his career on Sunday Night Football. Bright lights, bad bad offense, but you're on primetime TV, and you're a rookie. Now, Chris, you saw them pick on Kyrie Elam yep. the same way that the Jacksonville Jaguars did. When you look at the game Dorian Williams had, 10 tackles, 6 solo tackles. He gave up one completion on a he was soft in his coverage. And it cost him to, what 20 yards was his longest completion allowed. 16 total on four other targets that got thrown his way. And there was a lot of plays where if you go to like cover 1 and you look at the tape and just their breakdowns of his play, there were a lot of times where you could tell the play was designed to go to Saquon Barkley and he took him out of the play. Or the play was designed to go to a specific wide receiver, and Dorian Williams was athletic enough to just shadow them to the boundary to where Tyrod didn't throw the ball because he goes, that that coverage is too tight. It's not going to work. Like, there's so many instances you could see Tyrod Taylor rolling out away from pressure and finding nothing available at the linebacker level. This group is going to be integral to our success going forward. Those three guys, Teron Johnson, Dorian Williams, Terrell Bernard. 
It's just, I'm I'm worried. You have a sophomore and rookie playing linebacker. <laughs> That's usually not a recipe for success for a Super Bowl team, is it? Yeah, what's going to happen in a couple weeks when we're playing Patty Mahomes? Yeah, like this is a this is a thing. This is a problem. Now it's worth noting we haven't had Matt Milano when we've played Patrick Mahomes. I think twice now. Yes, and we've won those games. So take that for what you will. But it's just nice to know that this thing that we've built our rock on still works at a high level when you ask it to. We just have got new faces stepping in to do it. And I think that that speaks to what a great coach Sean McDermott is, doesn't it? Yeah, he's the man. Now, sticking with coaching, let's talk about the hierarchy of offensive coordinators and why EPA matters. I want, like in the aftermath of this game, Chris, you heard all the terrible things I screamed during that game. No, it's not good. <laughs> Would you say that I'm like a more vulgar version? Like when we get in those scenarios, I'm a more vulgar version of the guys from uh, Major League. Yeah, I could see that. It's like I'm almost here just to heckle my own team and the other team. I'm just here to heckle, and nobody understands why. You know, the uh, moderately attractive females in front of us who turned around to like, you know, you should try to be nicer about that. They found out real quick. Yeah. It, it doesn't get much nicer. Ah, <laughs> uh, I remember at one point the girl just turned around and looked at me with open mouth, just agape. Just she goes, that's a horrible thing you just said. I think it was about something with the referees and like needles on the beach. I was like, I hope you're Yeah, AIDS needles. I, I go I go, when you're out there enjoying your next vacation, ref, and she goes that's the worst thing I've ever heard. I go, well, stick around. It doesn't get better. Uh, so with that in mind, I want to be with there. I want to be you with you guys screaming into the ether about how terrible Ken Dorsey is. Right? I want to. I am known for trashing our offensive coordinators. I have lost multiple bets, Chris, on the performance of our offense, correct? Yeah. One of which I have to pay off here with Greg Thompson from Cover One in November. The last two weeks, this offense has cost us points. They've cost us possessions, hours of our life, watching terrible football, and ultimately untold damage to our livers. I mean, maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe that's just how I enjoy football. The only negative thing I tweeted during this game the entire night was that I was exhausted by this staff. And I know that I'm not alone in feeling that way. It's emotionally exhausting watching this offense try to operate the last two weeks. With that said, though, some of you guys need to calm down. You do. Like, Circling the Wagons podcast had a phenomenal tweet. And it was them, and they go... Oh, you know, whatever. The Bills have a mediocre game, but win. <laughs> They're like Bills fans everywhere. And it was just a montage of Donald Trump screaming, what the hell is going on? What's going on? <laughs> I can't I can't do the Shane Gillis, Chris. I can't no. do it. What? What? <laughs> I, I can't. I want to try, but it'll come out poorly. Either way, 
It's just 30 seconds of him going, what's going on? And it's like, look, there's nothing going on. Your team is being competitive in football games. Some things just didn't work well. Calm the fuck down. And then you get the fact that Tim Graham, who we've talked about on this podcast with Pat Moran, I respect. I respect Tim Graham. I respect the way he goes about journalism. He's in a press conference asking Sean McDermott, in a serious tone of voice, if Dorsey is going to keep calling plays for this team. Like, Chris, I don't know. It's it's like sometimes the stupidity of people is unfathomable. Yeah. Like, in 2019, did... Uh, did well, when, in 2019... Did Sean McDermott fire Brian Dable? No, he left. In 2019? Well, he left it, to it, go to it the Giants. Like, it took like three more years. That season, our offense was not great. <clears throat> like, if anyone remembers when we went, you know, after missing in 2018, we went back to the playoffs in 2019. The offense wasn't epic. We got into a game that was a game down to the final play <clears throat> with Duck Hodges. Yep. Remember that? Remember him. Brian Dable was not always Brian Dable. Even though he had the same quarterback and he had the same staff and he had the same thing, there was just something missing. And then finally it clicked. Ken Dorsey's what now he had an eight what we're talking 17 games last year and now six games this year yep 23 games as an nfl offensive coordinator how much experience did brian dable have more because he had brady quinn twice (laughs) how do you get yeah the fact that brian dable was around the nfl long enough to get brady quinn with two different franchises is out of control this got me thinking Right, so I'm gonna bring this full circle. For as much as a jerk as I've been about the last, two, for the, probably the last 20 years of my life, about the offensive coordinators here, why do so many of the people complaining on social media, complaining on the radio, complaining in the media right now, sound as if there is or has been a better option <laughs> with a headset calling offensive plays here in Buffalo? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What else have we as Bills fans seen 
from an offensive coordinator that Dorsey isn't giving us? I, I want to know. I want to know what you want. Tell me what you want, right? Between the time that Tom Bresnahan left at the end of the Super Bowl era and like the time Brian Dable showed up in 2018, the Bills had hired as a franchise 11 different offensive coordinators that all saw less than three years of service. Now, some of that is a byproduct of terrible head coaching hires, but it nevertheless, Ken Dorsey is 11 games away from tying those guys in that, like in that, like in tenure. So where does Dorsey rank out of the two-year offensive coordinator club? Let's take a look at it. Uh, let's go back to 2006, Chris. A uh, Steve Fairchild. You remember this? Heard of him. Heard of him. Exactly. The Lossman era. Points per game. 23rd in the NFL. Red zone percentage. 26th in the NFL. Passing yards per game. He was in the lower third. Do you remember the Lossman era at all? Barely. Okay. It was a miserable one. I remember a lot more of it than I wish to. Like, I... I almost wish for all the drinking I do that I could have killed those brain cells. Could I just lose that specific memory? It makes me think of that movie. Uh, so what is it? Uh, Conehead. Sun- no, not Conehead. God, why does everything come back to Conehead? Oh, because it's the only movie you've ever watched. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Jim Carrey breaks up with a girl or loses a woman, whatever it is, and erases his memories of her. And then as he's going back through, it's like, this service will wipe your mind. And you go, wait a minute, I didn't want to lose all this. No, I'd like to lose all of the Lossman era. Like, I wish I could drink enough to get that out of my mind. He threw for 3,000 yards in 2006 under Steve Fairchild. Also had a QBR of 49.5, got sacked 47 times. The offense had a whopping net yards per pass attempt of 5.7, which was less than the NFL that year. And then we were last in the NFL in first down conversion rate that season. Fairchild was the guy who pounded the table for uh, Kelly Holcomb. I remember Kelly Holcomb. Who eventually eroded enough of Lawson's confidence that we had no, like we had to flush that whole experiment and that whole staff like a, like a dead goldfish. What's telling is that when both of those, like, Lossman didn't go anywhere. Like, he might have gone somewhere as a backup, but I don't think he ever played again, did he? I have no idea. When he left Buffalo, that, I think, was his last hurrah. And then Fairchild, like, I'm assuming that was the end for him. (laughs) When you make it to an offensive coordinating position and fail that badly, you go somewhere as, like, a quality control assistant. You get demoted, but now you're, like, a 50-year-old, 40-year-old man working with teenagers. I think out of shame you quit that job. In 2008, we had Turk Schoner. Turk Popgun Schoner. Points per game, 22nd in the NFL. Red zone percentage, 23rd. Passing yards per game, 22nd. The team literally fired Schoner in the 2009 preseason. Like it was his fault that the offense was bad. And not the idea that they spent a bunch of money on the fattest garden. They, they literally went out and got the heaviest guard, the heaviest tackle, 
and then decided they wanted to run an up-tempo offense. Chris, do you remember the era of Bills football where it was like you just kept bringing in GMs who didn't get the coaches because they weren't the ones who hired them? Yeah. And then so by default, you don't know the staff. You're like, oh, Turk Schoner has a really like up-tempo idea for the line. We should probably get some lighter athletic linemen. Nah, let's bring in Derek Dockery. Dude, all that guy did, all I remember him for in a Bills uniform was sacks and just being the sweatiest person I've ever seen on TV. And I mean, I watched the OJ trial. Two thousand nine, his predecessor, or not predecessor, his uh, the guy who his incumbent. No, that's not the term either. What's the term? He succeeded. The successor, Alex Van Pelt. Didn't go much better. Points per game, 28th. Red zone percentage, 32nd, last in the NFL. Passing yards per game, 30th. Van Pelt was a guy who shouldn't have been there. He's the guy who literally, like, Chris, imagine you going to work tomorrow. And you find out that they fired your boss and they just offer you the job. I'd easily say no. Why? Because I'm not leaving. I'm not going to leave the union to where they can just fire me. They can just hire me and then fire me two weeks and I have no union backing. Okay. Do you know how to do your boss's job? No. No. You. Wh- how much do you know about what goes on above your pay grade? None of it. So imagine one day they come to you and they go, Chris, we got great news. You're the guy now. (laughs) We fired this guy. You're the guy. And there's a giant salary bump, giant salary bump that comes along with it. You'd say yes. And then you would end up being Alex Van Pelted. Like he was always stuck operating on feel rather than any having any experience as an offensive coordinator. And in fact, this might be the strongest corollary to what we're seeing with Ken Dorsey. When you look at Alex Van Pelt, he had no prior experience as an offensive coordinator. And then they said, listen, don't worry. You got it. The quarterbacks like you. You're going to be you're you're the quarterbacks coach. You know the guy. Come in here. Call the plays. It's going to go well. And he didn't. And it didn't help that he got handed a really poorly constructed roster. No senior offensive assistants worth a shit. And he was asked to improve a, a mess. Like, I, like that's the only analogy I can come up with. It was like if your if your boss mismanaged his job so poorly that they fired him and then gave it to you with no instruction and said, "Hey, it'll be cool though. You've been working here for a couple of years. You'll get it." <laughs> no, this guy somehow had Marshawn Lynch and Fred Jackson and had four total rushing touchdowns. By non-quarterback. That's pathetic, isn't it? Yeah. So then you want to talk about rushing. We fast forward to Greg Roman. Greg Roman and Rex Ryan were here to wreck shit. They walked into Buffalo the way I envisioned the brothers from Step Brothers with their tuxedos. We're here to fuck shit up. It's me. It's Rex Ryan and Greg Roman. We're here. You know, two guys who are going to build a bully. Well, Points per game, they were 12th, which is an improvement from what we saw from the last decade and a half. 24th in red zone percentage. 
28th in passing yards per game. Greg Roman's offense scored points, just not by passing the football, which after 2010, you'd feel like that was almost a crime against the sport itself. Roman, like, he was famous for making the offense study a play call sheet that was 72 plays long. He would try to install 70 to 75 plays in every single game and try to get through that in practice. Chris, the offense wasn't running more than 40 plays. He was wasting everyone's time, and they wonder why we were so bad in the red zone. It's like, dude, can you learn how to run a jet sweep from the five? No? Okay. We'll just kick another fucking field goal, assholes. Figure it out. You have all these plays, all these designed passing, the blah, blah, blah. You have one wide receiver and one tight end worth of shit prioritizing on the roster. You had Sammy Watkins and Charles Clay. That's it. That's all you had. Not shockingly, the offense was very slow procedurally. Probably could have executed better if they spent more of the week focusing on the 20 to 30 plays you would actually get a chance to call. He's the only guy I've ever heard of who got fired after the team scored more than 25 points in a game. Remember what, Remember that? I remember leaving for Canada. Thursday night football, home opener. Go to the game, fall down the stairs, bruise my ass. Like, we lose. I remember it was a solid, I think his name was Greg Salas. Caught a bomb of a touchdown pass. There was another bomb of a touchdown pass, and then everything else sucked. We ended up losing to the Jets. I go to Canada, and while I'm in Canada the next day, on Friday, take off from work, trying to do a long weekend with my girlfriend, Get there to find out that we fired Greg Roman. <laughs> Wait a minute. The offense scored like almost 30 points. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever heard of that, right? Yeah. Then there's 2017 with Rick Dennison. Do you remember being at that game with me? The Which one? Game? I was there for a lot of them. The Broncos game? Yeah. Where all... Th- we- Listen, Rick Dennison famously schemed up a play in the Heat Wave game against Denver back in 2017, where all three of our wide receivers, 11 personnel, and all of them ended up within, like, 10 square feet of each other. (laughs) It was one of those pathetic things I've ever seen. And Tyrod had to scramble. I go, who designed this? A child drew up that play. This guy can't be my coordinator. Dennison was also the driving force behind Nathan Peterman. He was the guy going to the coach saying, listen, I need a pocket passer to operate the type of offense I think this team needs. And so Sean McDermott, having just arrived on the scene, said, fine. We're not winning. I'll bench Tyrod. It'll be fine. It'll be, Chris, it'll be fine going forward. How'd that work out? Not good. That, more so than the lackluster passing stats, is what drove him off the roster. He was 20th in red zone procession, passing yards per game, 32nd in the NFL. The 2017 Buffalo Bills. Compared to these guys, doesn't Dorsey look good? Yeah. And for the people who go, well, what about Dayball? It's like we started talking about at the top of the show. If you really want to get apples to apples... He's had just about as much time with Dable as with Allen and with weapons as Dable had. So 
Chris, if you were trying to measure Dable's stats against Dorsey's, wouldn't it be fair to start in 2020? Yeah. Okay. EPA per play. 2020, Brian Dable was fourth. So far, 2023, Ken Dorsey's third. Red zone percentage. 2020, Brian Dable was 12th. Right now, Ken Dorsey and the Buffalo Bills are second. They're the second best red zone offense in football. Points per game. They tied at third. Passing yards per game. Dable was fourth. Right now, Dorsey is eighth. They're going through some things. They're they're figuring it out. Rush yards per game. 2020 Brian Dable, 24th in the NFL. Ken Dorsey's 12th. Chris, all this offseason talk about how the team needed to get more efficient and they needed to give Josh Allen help. Don't those statistics kind of scream to the fact that, like, hey, they're doing the thing. They're making a more well-rounded team in the mold of what the Chiefs and the Eagles have done. Seems like everything's evened out. They're not putting 100% of the game on Josh Allen's shoulders anymore, but they're also becoming more effective and more efficient where it matters. Like, they're still 4-2. and two. How many times has the team started the season 5-2? Five and two, five and, You know, 5-2, and 5-3. Pretty much every year under Sean McDermott. Yeah. We are on pace to do that here again with games against the Buccaneers, games against the Patriots. Broncos. Broncos. We have some games coming up here that all look highly winnable that will keep that streak alive. And at the same time, we're becoming a more effective and more efficient version of what this offense was supposed to be. Now, there are some things. I'm not, I'm not going to say that there isn't right to be concerned. Like, second and long, we are running the ball now more than, like, we're in the middle of the pack. Whereas before, we under Brian Dable, we threw on second and long. That was a passing down. Now they're deferring to the run. Now I hope over the course of the season that starts to skew and we start to trust Josh on those downs. Maybe it's maybe it's getting some of these guys like Hardy and Sherfield acclimated to the offense so that when crunch time comes, Chris, all I can think of is last year when our offense started really hot and then petered out towards the end of the year. And we were just grasping at straws trying to cobble together this offense. At least, I, I shouldn't say it, that's an exaggeration, but it felt like we were really fighting offense at the end of the year. I'd rather take those lumps right now. The same way Josh Allen learned. You can't freelance all the time. Sometimes you have to play within the structure of the team. He's doing that now. And you're seeing it, and I just hope that they can put this together as we get here down the stretch. Because right now, Chris, who would you say out of the, like, look at where Ken Dorsey is. I want the team to be better. But look at where Ken Dorsey is compared to everything that's come before him. Who would you take out of the people we just talked about over Ken Dorsey? Dable. Sure, but, but he's like, gone. Who? What other coordinator that didn't leave for another head coaching job would you take? All we would have. The None. only, the only, the only way, and it might even be worse, is if you'd have to go to Joe Brady, the QB coach. That's it. Guys, since Chris is since Chris is stepping up in the world, he's taking shots. He's get, he's he's shooting his shot. I'm going to give him 
the opportunity to name tonight's Hero of the Week? Simple. Because we left at halftime, Hero of the Game goes to Doug Roloski for keeping you in line when you tried to throw me out of the truck. <laughs> we left. So we, Chris, you th- got to hit that sound drop. Oh, God. Where is it? Don't take it personally, all right? Franchise star players are a lot like Highlanders. There can only be one. So here's the deal. We left at halftime. So we're in dock slot, so you got to go down Abbott, and we generally go down 20A, but they still have the sign-up that says, oh, no lefts, because they still have... I, I mean, you don't need to have incoming traffic coming from the 219 down to uh, Abbott. So we just, like, bypassed that. You know, we'd been drinking. We only stayed for a half. So you don't want to chance it, like, hey, there's a sign-up, and have, like, a Erie County police officer flag us down and point us to get pulled over. So we, Wait, whoa, whoa. especially when you don't have a pulled pork sandwich to use as chaff. Yes. So we go down... We fire south down Abbott, and then I'm looking at the map. I'm like, all right, we're sort of cut over road. We go down Bussendorfer over to Armor Duels, and Armor Duels goes right to the 219. So we get onto Armor Duels. And Mind then, you, I've never driven this way before in my entire life. Also, I've also never been here in the dark. Okay. Also, none of that is worth a shit. You know that you're south of the stadium. And you also know that you live north of the stadium. So when you approach the 219, which is a semi-major highway, I thought, you know, common sense kicks in and you would just know to go north. And then I was like, I forget what I had said, but you slammed on the brakes and you told me to get the fuck out of the truck. <laughs> not just not just told you to get out. I threw a water bottle into the back seat at you. And then was I I just like when it didn't hit you I was so angry. I was like get out. And you, I stopped you, in the tra- in traffic. I didn't pull you, over. I was in the left lane. I'm in the middle you, of the road going get out of the truck and Doug goes Doug bursts out laughing and goes what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you you should generally have your license revoked for <laughs> awareness. You don't know that you're even if even if you're North, a little north, south, east, west of the stadium. You know to get home, you have to go north. Like that's just like common sense. Like my mind was blown. But like, I, didn't I don't know where the on ramp was. I'm going, Chris. How nah, far am I from it? I go, Chris. Tell that's me. That's why you my read signs. Is. That's when you drive. Yeah, but you're, when I have a navigator, you're one, you're one of the worst drivers. <laughs> like going places with you, like whether it's to a stadium or whether you're going to throw a beer at somebody on the way to see uh, the tragically hip's last show. Hey, allegedly, sense, allegedly throw a beer in traffic because it's never sense, been proven in the court of law that I did that. Your sense of direction is awful, and your license should be revoked. <laughs> Somehow there's a bigger zero here tonight than me, and that's Miami Dolphins fans and their media. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. So, you know, the game unfolds. The game ends. And we're here, Chris. We're talking about, you know, we're just ecstatic that we escaped this thing. So I open Twitter. And... All I see is that, like, when I go to search, like, Buffalo Bills, you know who's tweeting about us more than Bills fans? 
Dolphins fans. All They're right. the most miserable bunch of human beings I've ever met. I love, we joke about it with El Fartiaga every single week on the uh, AFC's Roundup podcast about how hyperbolic and just out of control that group is. And yet, it's funny knowing that they're all watching our game and they can't help. Like, I'm not think. like, it's almost like that Mad Men scene where the guy goes, well, you know what I think about? I think this about you. Oh, no, he goes, I feel, I feel bad for you. And the guy goes, I don't think about you at all. The guy's telling Dom Draper, he's like, I feel bad for you. And he's like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> I don't, I forget that you exist. And the second you walk out of this door, you will cease to exist. The, that's how Miami Dolphins fans are to me. I don't care that you have a football team. I don't care that your team is doing well. I don't care what you do. I'm more focused on me. And yet for some reason, Chris, like, a, like, like I think I said it. I, I think at one point I tweeted out that they were like the girlfriend from Wayne's World. Oh, good. A gun rack. <laughs> we broke up six months ago. Live in the now. That's how they are. It's wild. And then it went a little bit farther. Because I'm I'm going through all this. And I'm seeing Dolphins fans talking about that. They're making memes about how the, the referees are obviously. Chris, the refs are obviously pro Bills. Did they watch last week's game? Or the first half. Or were they too messed out? Or was it just like, were they, were they too hungover? You know. I don't know. Like, I don't, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't for, hey, well, cut back to the game. That guy behind me who was doing cocaine bumps in the stadium. Yep. How does that get through security? Plastic bag. Funny thing is, I wasn't even mad at him. In fact, he asked me. He was like, can you do me a huge favor? Can you just like stand up so I can take a bump? And I was like, well. Sure. Who am I to begrudge you a good time? So he does it. And then I sit down and he's like, hey, you want one? I laughed. I go, no, I stopped doing that when I was a child. I'm sorry. None for me. I stopped taking drugs from strangers when I was a child. Chris, can you imagine a football game being fun? Yeah. Football games are fun. You don't need to be on cocaine to have fun. Can you imagine a six to nothing at halftime football game being fun on cocaine? That's why you leave. That's why you leave a game. But so as I'm going through the Miami Dolphins fans and all their nonsense, I see one that sticks out to me. And it's Nate Geary tweeted something and Marcel Louis Jacques, who used to be our writer for ESPN, who has since transferred to the Miami market. He decides, like, because Nate tweets out, the Dolphins are 5-1 and one and their wins came against a team with a 4-22 and 22 record. Now, he said that on October 15th. Okay, during... Three days ago. Three days ago. 7.50 p.m. Marcel waits until after the game to kind of come back and be like, oh, the, Dolph- the Dolphins had 326 yards and 17 points against the Giants at halftime last week, despite two turnovers. So, uh Listen, I get it if fans want to fuck around with each other. You are a credential-holding member of the media. And it's a weird road these guys walk, where on one hand, they want us to respect them because of like, hey, I'm a reporter. I have an important job. And then also, you want to go on Twitter and act like just a bunch of random... Like, there's a bunch of other drunken dickheads doing the same thing you're doing right now. I don't respect it. 
mostly because I hold the same degree you do. I could be doing your job. The only reason I'm not is because I like money. <laughs> I, I like money. Like, I got my first... Like, Chris, I've had credentials. Yeah, I've been on the sidelines. I've done great interviews with players on the field, the training camp, that have got... Like, I've I've gotten praise from guys who have worked at w, WHAM 13 in Rochester on TV. I've been talked about... Like, I've, I've talked to producers... Of sh- the radio programs in the Rochester market, the Syracuse market. Obviously not me. And obviously not you. They didn't, well, first of all, you're unapproachable. That hair, like that alone, just so. They're all like, who do you work for? Like, what do you do? And I go, no, no, I literally just do this as a lark by myself. Because I make, like, that's my thing is the, the only thing that these guys have is credentials like so they get a little bit more access than us and then they get to kind of throw it in your face like well i get to talk to a coach the fuck do i want to talk to a coach for i'd rather talk to you guys that's how my time is best spent i don't want to have to do that guy's job writing 500 word articles about nonsense just to do it to fill up dead space i don't want to be online trying to create engagement for myself by saying crazy things i'd rather drink 10 beers and just say wild shit that i actually believe chris if i'm going to upset people i want it to be real right yep it's genuine it's kind of why i didn't take the track of journalism i got so disenfranchised with seeing up close and personal what investigative reporting was that i dropped the entire profession and I went on and found a way to make, I don't know, like if we had to compare net worth, sorry, Marcel, like you're a great guy, but like, I guess, I don't know. I don't have to like you. And I guess that's the thing on my tweet. I was like, look, here's a member of the media who's still in, like, he can't even help himself. He just can't. And that's frustrating to me because of this thing where you try to hold yourself to a higher standard. You try to tell everybody, like, I'm better because I have access and I do this and that. I go, no, you're not. You're just some dickhead out here with an axe to grind who thinks he's being funny, but you're not. I don't have to pretend to like you just because you eat chicken wings and used to work for the Buffalo Bills. Mike Rodak used to work for the Buffalo Bills. I'm sure he liked chicken wings, too. That guy can get fucked as well. (laughs) They can all kiss my ass. I can say these things because I don't care. Right, Chris? Mm-hmm. Do you care about getting along with the local or outside of Buffalo media? No, I wouldn't. It's never I'm mattered. A, I'm not a fan of Marcel Louis Shock. He's a race baiter. <laughs> well, that's a whole other issue. But by and large, I just don't have a whole lot of respect for the way most of these guys go about their trade anyway. Which is why the only people who I associate with on this show, the way the only people I try to talk to in real life, it's I keep that to a minimum. Because by and large, I don't respect the profession. I don't like the way you go about it. And I don't like the way you go about trying to create engagement. And I'm not going to hide that. Also, what are the consequences of me saying it? People are like, I can't believe you took a shot. Why? Who is he? He's a guy from, he's a dude. I'm a dude. We can all have a conversation. It's just hilarious the way you guys deify these media people as if they're not just fans with a piece of paper that said they learned how to write in AP style. They're just fans of a sport who learned how to write. That's it. And I think we need to normalize seeing them as such. 
Chris, do you have any final thoughts as we put the thing on this? I mean, click the link in the in uh, below in the description of the show and donate to my wedding. That's it. Donate to my wedding. <laughs> if you make a GoFundMe for your wedding, Iman Azizi's head's gonna explode. Why not? Women get to do it on uh, Twitter for uh, when they have a surgery, like a minor surgery, and have to miss work because I- they don't they don't know how to save funds and get insurance. Chris, you're just pissing off so many people. I don't give a fuck. It's it's fucking hilarious to me. Here's what I think. You know what I'm talking about. This week should have taught everybody that the NFL is difficult. It's hard. Mahomes has a narrow victory over the Broncos and threw a crazy, which, Chris, we, we didn't even get to talk about this. The fact that the media covers all of these other franchises differently than they do the Bills. Like, if anyone wants to cry about anything, it could be us about the way we're treated by the media. But I don't give a fuck about what the media says. They can all kiss my ass. Mahomes throws a a red zone interception that if Josh Allen threw, people would be screaming for his job. Narrow victory. The 49ers... Lost to a former XFL quarterback. The Eagles lost to a future XFL quarterback. The Bengals needed a last-second defensive stand at their goal line to secure a win against a really average-looking Seahawks team. And yet, we're not talking about any of them being in trouble, are we? No. All of those, all of those outcomes were met with just... Okay, well, good teams are sometimes going to lose a game. Or, hey, sometimes good teams need to squeak one out at the goal line. You know, but hey, a win's a win. Why should the narrative be any different about us? Sometimes good teams have to squeak one out at the goal line. Literally. I understand the angst about the way things have gone and what feels like undue stress being placed on us as a fan base the last two weeks watching this team play offense. First of all, two questions. Would you rather have Matt Rule, Chip Kelly, Greg Roman, Anthony Lynn? Like, Who would you rather have had them reach out to to be the offensive coordinator of this team? Okay. Consider that the quarterback probably had some input in this and that maybe they're together trying to find their stride. They're trying to grow something. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Also, I want people to understand that the Leslie Frazier iteration of this team absolutely would have lost his football game. True or false, Chris? I have no idea. I believe so. Based on the defensive tendencies... I think that right now, we're lucky to have not... Like, Do you think Nick Sirianni would have traded our outcome for theirs? Like, oh, we're the Eagles, and we had a wide receiver with 160 yards receiving. Do you think he would have traded the outcome? No. He wouldn't have? He wouldn't have rather been in the Bills' shoes, winning on a goal line stand? No, you need losses to correct yourself. You need losses. Spoken like a true member of the media, Chris. Yes. God, I hate this. Guys, a win is a win. Obviously, there's things to be concerned about, right? Like, that's the thing. You you look at how you narrowly won and go, please fix that. But also, we're right there. And this is the best. This is maybe one of the better iterations of what we've seen. They're just doing it differently. 
So let's all just take a deep breath. Chris, say it with me. Goose Fraba. Take a deep breath. Drink a beer. Go outside. Touch some grass. Yell at, a, yell at another sports fan over something inane. Do anything other than cry about the fact that the Bills are now 4-2 and two and they had to narrowly beat the New York Giants. That's it, guys. That's all I have for you. We got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Pile Report.